let's start this thing and uh, let's see people can uh, come in and but uh, thank you guys this is uh, our 10th chat you know so 10 weeks in a row of talking uh, solving the problems of the world and talking about nothing <laughs> it's a great thing um, so uh, just want to thank you for uh, keep coming back um, I know it keeps it, it keeps me busy so thank you for that and also I think I've learned a lot and most important I, I really like the fact that we're open to chat and and to share thoughts and so um, and so we had some great conversations. Um, so I think I think that this, the the topic for today that we had uh, that I had in, in, that I sent in the email was about uh, with limited budgets, you know, uh, what equipment will coaches prioritize? And if you had to pick a piece of equipment, which which is the most important for your program, you know? Um, and I don't know. And, and from there, we can evolve to whatever, you know, we could just chat, you know, I think these are things that somebody proposed. I don't remember the name of the person that proposed them. And so we can start talking about that. We had a great conversation last night with the Southeast Asian people about all that. So, but, uh, but yeah, anybody wants to start about what's, you know, what will be the important piece of equipment? Sergio, I'm, oh, go ahead, Trevor. Uh, um, so, um, I'm at least for me in my program, probably the most important piece of equipment that we use is fins. I, I know it's simple, but I mean, I have everybody from my younger kids all the way up to my seniors, and even my guys who are um, who are coming back to me and swimming in college. I always use fins. Um, I use it for definitely for the younger ones to teach uh, butterfly kick. And for the older guys, it really, really helps them, especially with strength, with uh, with strength and with strength and flexibility. Awesome, uh, Jimmy. What do you think? Yeah, I, I like a little bit of both ends. So I love paddles and fins. Not a ton of paddles, but uh, I've got more college guys, so a little bit stronger uh, group. Um, but I love resistance stuff. Um, We've been able to accumulate, I don't have a very big budget, so we've been able to accumulate um, shoots and um, drag socks, and we've got the old-fashioned uh, inner tubes. Um, so I don't have enough of everything for everybody. So sometimes I'll just say, you pick, and um, you know they share it or switch out, but I'll just say it's resistance time, and you go grab whatever pieces you want. Um, so, uh, that's probably what I would limit to. Um, I would love more buckets and towers and all that kind of stuff, but that's a lot of money and, and, um, uh, I've got a fairly large group, so I can't do a whole lot of that anyway. Um, but yeah, fins, paddles, shoots, um, drag socks would probably be, uh, the key ones for me. I think, I think for me, uh, this Probably with the coat, with the, the athletes that I have, it would be a little bit like like Jimmy. I would, if I had to pick one, I probably would pick a, a parachute or some sort of resistance. Uh, I know if I didn't have the money to buy parachutes, I, I think more or less all my swimmers have a mesh bag, so I could use the mesh bag with a little string uh, tied in, in, in their waist, and then put t-shirts inside the mesh bag to make them. You know, have more resistance. You know, and try to. That would be a very cheap way to have some type, some sort of resistance, or buying like some sponges, you know, and carrying them, and tie them to a string. You know, uh, I think for the group of people that I coach, uh, I would use. I would try to have something that I can work with resistance and power, and you know, and and something like that. And parachute will be my first choice. You know, I like fins a lot. I think fins, and I haven't used personally the small fins, you know, when I swam uh, and more the last few years of my career with Joseph Nagy, we used kind of like the snorkeling fins, like the longer fins. And I really like that just to finish practices, just to give that sensation of like being on top of the water and, and, and trying to think about speed and working with the upper body. But, but I think if I had to pick one, I probably would pick some sort of parachute of resistance. 
and we're talking about you know all of our teams and at least in college we're gonna have budget cuts you know we have some reserve of things but to you know to be creative you know, i think a mesh back with a with a string tied to your waist and just put a few t-shirts inside or even the the mesh bag by itself i think it already offers resistance that would be a, a you know probably the choice that i would use john yeah um so i don't know if you remember sergio i had the when i had the distance group um at one point i used the mesh bags uh just empty and i found that for long course it added i think about three to four seconds per hundred um just an empty mesh bag and i felt like at least for the distance swimmers it was great because we could still maintain tempo and speed a lot better and we can swim a lot more yardage um, you know, 2,000, 2,500 or so. Whereas if you put a parachute on them, you try to go 2,000, you might kill them. Um, but I think if, if I had to choose one piece of equipment, I think I would choose something resistance like a parachute. I feel like, I feel like you have so much more flexibility um, with it. You know, as far as the speed goes, if you take the parachute off, they always feel fast. So that difference between having the parachute or resistance and taking it off not the same but it is, can give you that same feeling between you know no fins and fins um if i had to choose um the second thing is we did uh after sergio left we made what we called squids using um old towels that uh kids left behind and we just took a rope and tied it in the middle and the towel hung down and they just swam with that um it was great because it stayed on the surface uh they didn't get their legs tangled in it um, and for butterfly and breaststroke, it was we used that over parachutes because um, again, it stayed on the surface a lot better and didn't pull their hips underwater. Um, but yeah, I, I like the parachute as well. Even for um, right now, I coach thirteen and fourteen, and I think to learn to feel the stroke and what the water feels like, um, I think is is huge for some of them because when you try to tell them, you know, hey, look, work on catching the water, pressing on the water. You know, you should feel it on your fingertips and, you know, part of your palm. They don't always feel it. As soon as you add a little bit of resistance, like, oh, okay. Um, so I use that to help with, with stroke technique as well. Not a big parachute, but, you know, pretty tiny. So it's not holding them back or anything. Uh, that's all I got. Awesome, John. Anybody else? No. Nobody else. This is going to be a short conversation. Uh, I don't know. Sorry, my, my bad English. Um, in my case or my situation, I prefer parachutes, fins, and snorkels. Um, I work more with age grab um, and two seniors, no more. But I prefer that if I have to buy only three things, no? I, in order, I put fins, snorkel, and parachutes. Uh, Sean, a uh, question. You say that you work with the mesh bag, MP, no? Yes, yes Sean. Yes, but uh, what, um, what is the way to, to use it? I don't know if I explain. Uh, uh, Pablo, what you do is make a, make a belt of a string and you know attach it to to the string and you just attach the okay. the mesh pack like the, the parachute pack. but it's the mesh pack yeah the, mesh okay pack. okay thanks that's that's a cheap way because most of the kids nowadays have already uh mesh pack you also at balls we had a lot of mesh bags all mesh bags seen over there uh from kids and you know i know in our team for example we probably every year we have to throw away some mesh bags from kids that leave their their staff, uh, the, you know, the seniors or, or whatever. So every team probably has a good number of mesh bags that they can use. Sergio, so my favorites are stroke dependent. You know, so for example, breaststroke for me, uh, probably pull buoy and weight belt. Uh, are used more often than anything else that I'm not at. Uh, certainly all the resistance uh, that you can use for other rest of strokes I use for breaststroke, but 
we do a lot of kicking in a weight belt with a buoy uh, that gives a little bit underwater position, you know, for, uh, you know, knee positioning and everything. So for me, breaststroke, that would be it. Uh, for some of the other strokes, you know, particularly long axis, uh, you know, resistance and paddles, uh, a lot for that. And uh, so for me, it's stroke dependent. Awesome. And what type of white belt do you use? Is, do you have, do you make yourself one or you buy a white belt or? Yeah. So um, years ago, I had a, a dad who owned a surf and scuba shop and that was uh, 1979, <laughs> and he gave me uh, a surplus of uh, dive weight belts um, that you just add weight to. And so we were very old style of weight belts, and we went everything from two pounds to probably a max of uh, eight or nine pounds. And, and so I've kept them over the years. I've had to replace the belts every once in a while. Uh, but what I found, I did this with Jared Mars a lot uh, when we're trying to do line kicking uh, breaststroke on our back. We would have the weight belt on top of the stomach, and we'd, we'd really work on the integrity of the line shoulder to knee. And with the weight belt, that integrity is more difficult. And uh, so it's, it's a lot of different variations, but I, I really like those two pieces of equipment. Awesome. Yeah, because we use a weight belt. And we make one, uh, see if I can find a video. I don't know if I show it to you guys. It's very simple. We buy one of those belts, black belts on Amazon for a few bucks. And then we take a, a donut. And for breaststroke and butterfly, we like it a lot. We, we put it either, we put it right on the, on the back. Um, and it's, I think it's very efficient. Uh, and it, you, know, that's a, you know, that's a very good job. If I can find it, I'll, 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 I'll show it to you guys. But thanks a lot, um, uh, Pete. I think, uh, also, I didn't think about being a stroke dependent, but if you have a large team too, that's probably even easier on the budget because you don't have to do many, many of the things and some things work for one stroke and some things work for another. That's awesome. Uh, I know one way to keep things cheap is you know, a lot of people have the, um, the tubing for assisted and, and resistance tubing. And once that tubing cracks, we always kept those belts because, you know, the tubing lasts about a year and a half. The belts last for 10 years. So um, when we're at bowls, we use those belts a lot to either put mesh bags or weights or, or whatever it was. But I think for a brushstroke and butterfly, like Sergio said, and, and Peter said that it works because it really forces them to, to help, to work to keep their hips up and as soon as you take that belt off all of a sudden you see their hips are nice and high in the water and they can feel a difference and, and gain better understanding you know when there's someone butterfly and breaststroke this way versus this way so i mean that was it was a good piece of equipment that we had if you can if you can afford it or use it find it yeah. like i show you i show you guys a weight belt that we do for, we use it we used to use it at bowls. We started doing it at bowls, and we use it a lot with uh, all the strokes, but I'd really like it for breast to butterfly. I just found a small video. Uh, let me see. If, uh, can you guys see this? Yes, yes. Uh, so, like, this is a breast stroker, and you watch on, on here on, on his back, you know, has one of those donuts, like, you know, has a belt that goes, in, in, in the holes of the donut of the weight of the little weight and I think that's five pounds we have either five pounds or ten pounds but it doesn't have to be very heavy but right there works on the pretty much the center of gravity of the athlete and for breaststroke and butterfly it's very good because as you can see it keeps it keeps it's going to help them they have to think about it you know and then when they take it out they take it off it, it's it you know it works very well but that's, and that's a, I don't think that's very expensive, you know. Uh, I know if you have weights running around, uh, you know, you can, you can make it happen, you know. I'll show it again.
So, Serge, I got a question for you. Yeah, go ahead. Um, I'm just watching this, and I remember for a, a couple of kids that I that I've worked with that are even older aren't quite strong enough to use a weight belt. Have you? Um, and I've done this a couple of times. Um, have you ever tried using a TikTok with kids who can't really handle a weight belt on their on their back or their hips? Uh, a TikTok, like I think, with the two balls that goes like yeah. this. Uh, yeah. No, I haven't. I I, I haven't. Uh, I think. Um, I guess I haven't tried this with kids younger than 15, probably. Okay. Uh, so I think what I like with this about the brushstock and butterfly for this is that they can really, we teach them about either launching forward with their head, so throwing their head where their hands go. So when they mm -hmm. do that with the weight, it's, it's hard, but when they take it out, they just feel like going into that hole in front of them so well, you know? And cool. we don't do long sets. We do short stuff, and then we try to transfer it to that movement and that sensation, you know. So it's, uh, but I haven't tried the TikTok. I, I haven't, you know, like somebody like, and for the backstrokers, we put it on 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 the stomach, right on the belly button. So I remember with Ryan Murphy, we tried to swim with the five pounds without a belt, and making sure that the thing wouldn't wouldn't fall. And somebody like Caleb uh, Dressel, I think he was able to stay on his stomach, put two pounds, two, two, two of those uh, donuts without a belt on his back, start kicking, and start swimming a few strokes without the thing falling apart. Like, you know, falling. so, so those, we like that, you know, because it teaches, you know, I think the center of gravity is probably one of the most important things in swimming that many times we take for granted. So I think I think that's a piece of equipment that really targets that. Yeah. Uh, and I think uh, uh, piggybacking on what Peter Morgan said, you know, I remember with the weight belts, the the scuba diving weight belts. Some of them are on the side and this that and and I haven't tried those. Uh, you know, I've seen them. Uh, you know, I just wanted to show this because it's more specific too for brushstroke and butterfly. It's pretty good to have the weight on on, on the back. You know, on on, on that that thing so yeah so there's i think something for us um specifically would be like outside the water would be med balls um that would be super important to our program um just with the routine that we do and how creative you can be and how many exercises you can do with a med ball i think would be something else that would be really high on our priority list yeah that's true but i think i think also you know Med balls are pretty expensive in a way. You, know? mm -hmm. if you have to become so creative. If you have to become yeah. creative and you don't have a budget, you have to cut things. You know? Yeah, I feel like if you do, you know, take that hit with the expense of them, they they should last for you know multiple years yeah. if they're you know they don't dry rot and they're taken care of. Yeah. So, anybody else, guys? Huh? Well, so something else that that uh, that I like using is um in terms of resistance or also uh, I can't I don't know the name of them but um oh that no, I thought of it bungee cords or uh, swim bungees you know where you can keep keep kids going out and out and out and just see um it's really fun with uh with my older guys just to see how far they can actually go and see if they can actually make it a twenty five make it the full twenty five meters or not um and also having them race um and the cool part is that if, is that if they actually do end up um getting all the way back to the wall when they turn they can actually use the resistance of the bungee to pull them back to the wall as well yeah i like i, I like the, the stretch course the bungee course a lot too i think mm -hmm. there's a it's a very good piece of equipment it, it, it teaches them about resistance speed so you can combine both so that's that's pretty good too uh, one thing I've used is tennis balls in their hand. Um, I know um, Chris Plum up at Carmel uses wiffle balls. I haven't tried those, um, but I like to have them swim, you know, with a tennis ball in each hand or just one ball in one hand, and nothing in the other hand. It, it takes away their, like swimming with a fist, but they can't, it's harder for them to cheat. Um, 
and also again just kind of helping develop their 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 feel for the water um i do like to go one hand with and one hand without and then try to get them to pull the same amount of water uh to really get them to think about what they're doing but um you know for to to get tennis balls is pretty easy you just go to the back of a tennis court and pick them all up in the evening and you got <laughs> tennis balls galore so that was very cheap you just got to be in shape to run no? just a little bit or you take it out of the the big doberman or the german shepherd's mouth and run like heck Awesome. I use those too, John, and I found a couple boxes of whiffer balls pretty cheap on Amazon. Um, you know, you could buy a dozen or two dozen for not a lot of money. So, um, you know, it, it works pretty well. I, I agree. I like it a lot. Have you noticed, have you tried tennis balls or just the whiffle ball? I'm curious if there's a difference. It's a good question. Mostly wiffle balls as of late um, because when I was at Northwestern, we were in the same building as the tennis people. So I was able to use tennis balls a lot then. Now more, more wiffle balls. But um, uh, I, I don't know if there's a huge difference, to be honest. Um, you know, wiffle balls obviously be a little bit lighter, but, you know, I think they pretty much have the same effect. Now, now the question would be, what about if USA Swimming and the NCAAs prohibit us to use any sort of equipment? Do you think we will be able to think about practices being creative without using any equipment? Think about that. That would be a tough one. Yeah. You know. We would have to go back to 1970s and 12 <laughs> grand of practice. Oh, why? Why talk around a practice? I don't know. Yeah, just you just have around. to swim. You just have to swim a lot fast. You just have to swim a lot faster, a lot more often. I guess I don't know. That's I mean, unless you want to run. I mean, John, are you talking about doing a whole USRPT practice for two hours? <laughs> you know, whatever it takes. We'll have to, I mean, we don't have equipment, so we'll have to experiment with a lot of different styles to figure out what works best. Best. Yeah, I guess so. Well, I mean, you could, and I mean, this is, I, I know I'm kind of going back to age groupers here, but um, I don't know if you guys have ever did this, if any of you guys were ever age group coaches, um, with the younger guys, you just have one kid hang on the ankles of another kid while the person in front of them pulls, and the other one in the back kicks just a little bit just to help them go forward. I guess that's, in terms of resistance, that's the only real thing I could think of. Yeah. Hook their feet in the gutter or... Kick against the wall. I mean, that's resistance. I mean, Interesting. I was, just, I was just trying to make some conversation because I think this this subject is going to is going to die soon. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good it's a good thought. I mean, if if all equipment was was banned, how would you how would you create resistance with kids? Are any of you guys training right now? No. No. <laughs> okay, so Sergio, I've got two two of our kids that swim for you, uh, Sarah and Lane. Lane says he's going to wait for your instructions as he packs his gear coming home. But we're actually in Virginia able to start outdoor training in one per lane, uh, and there are no limitations on uh, gear um, into the equation. But we are one per lane, starting at opposite ends in 20 lanes and so if somebody's standing waiting for a series to begin the closest next person is you know 15 16 feet away because uh, they're alone in the lane um, with the other at the opposite end and so it's interesting i i don't think we're going towards a, a limitation on gear uh but you know i think everybody's following protocols you know don't share gear um, and, and keeping practices as touchless as possible in our resumption. So I don't know if that helps anybody, but I, I haven't heard any, any language that would suggest limiting uh, bringing equipment into the mix. Mm -hmm. 
No, no, I was just I was just joking around to try to create conversation. There's okay. No, there's no limitation. I think I think like like you say, I think it's going to be interesting how we're going to have to proceed with training. You know, it might change a lot for the next year. You know. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's going to be interesting, and we're going to have to be creative. And but it's I don't think there's going to be restrictions with equipment. I was just I just felt that the conversation was going mm-hmm. to be over soon. So I was just trying to see what people So Sergio, so even better question then might be, what if you only had one hour to train? I wouldn't have a problem. Right. So what would we do to make the most out of that? And how would we get our swimmers to swim really fast? Which could be happening as Pete's saying, because if you've got to cycle fewer people through your pools, that we may find that on the college campuses too this fall. So what if we have to limit it? Um, you know, some of us know David Marsh has had his 40 minute swims with some of his team elite guys out in San Diego. Talk about having to get creative, right? Yeah, I think, I think if we have an hour only to train, you make the best out of that hour. And as long, I will, I will always believe we had this conversation now with the Spanish coaches a couple of, uh, an hour ago. It's all about how the kids believe in what you do. And if you say, we have a, we have an hour. We're gonna we're gonna be NCAA champions if we train the best that we can in that hour. People will do, and we'll be happy. You know what I mean? And I think it's it's a, it's how the coaches are gonna react. Some coaches don't believe that with an hour they can train, and they're gonna be more worried about what they don't do than what they can do. So it's, it's I think it's a you know you make the best out of it. I remember when I went to coach for the first time in college, and I went to Northwestern. I was a little bit worried about learning how to do everything in 20 hours, you know, just because in my club, I have more time, you know, and I, now I have to have, I have to count the meetings. I have to count everything within the 20 hours. Well, now I can say proudly that we are performing pretty well. And this year we didn't go over 19 hours any week, you know, because I don't, I don't need to do it if, you know, just to do it, you know, we do, we're efficient with what we do. The best we can, and I'm not saying it's better than anybody else. And you, you know, that's that's what it is. You know what I mean? Uh, so I think I think if we have one hour and we take advantage of it, we'll see it very fast soon. Now, when um, Jimmy, when you say an hour, is that just an hour of training per day, or is that an hour in the pool? I'm, I'm, thinking, I'm thinking in the pool. Obviously, yeah, I mean. When the um, you know when the, the the full body tech suits were floating everybody um, before they made changes, I mean I think at that point, um, you know dry land became a much different perspective as opposed to just supplemental. It became, I think, for a lot of people, a, a main source of getting strong because they didn't have to worry about staying afloat. They just needed strength to to move them forward, as if you were sitting in a bowl on a surfboard or something. So I think that would kind of you know, make the dry land uh, a lot more interesting. If you only had an hour in the pool, what are you going to use that hour for compared to what you could get on land? Uh, This is Jean Fleck. I'm joining the conversation, but I'm more worried about a weight room. I'm more worried about a weight room. I don't think we're going to have weight rooms. Well, we might have outdoor weight rooms, Jin. We can just maybe take the weights outside or grab the medicine ball and go outside to the field. And, and go Venice to, Beach on everybody. Yeah, try to be six feet apart. You know, I, I, you know, I know I live in a very small place, a very small community. There's two or three, three outdoor pools. Right now, we don't have a chance to train. We don't have a weight room. We don't have anything. <laughs> so, so I don't know. Um, I think it'll be interesting, but I think as as, soon, uh, as long as we you stay calm and you make the best out of every situation, uh, if we have a season, we're gonna swim well. We're gonna perform well. There's no, I don't have any doubts about that. Yeah, I agree, Sergio. I think years ago is interesting. There was a very successful club coach, um, and I won't say his name. Um, but he's a good friend, a highly successful coach. When I was recruiting, um, he told me that if he found out that a college team 
didn't train over 20 hours that he wasn't going to send his swimmers to that school. You know, and I thought, well, geez, you know, uh, I guess I might have to, you know, ramp up my, my uh, practice time or something if I want to get his, his swimmers. But, uh, yeah, it's interesting how things have changed. So my first year at uh, my current school, McKendry University, um, our pool wasn't finished. So um, I had no doubles in the pool, um, limited to a high school pool we were renting. Sometimes they had meets, we couldn't have practice, or we'd have a short practice. And you just get really creative. We actually swam very, very well. Now, we didn't have any milers. Uh, I don't know if they would have done as well as maybe the others, but uh, it was a very successful year. We, were, we, did, we did dry land on outdoor tennis courts, um, hot as could be the first you know, like month, month and a half of the school year. Um, our strength coach had them all over the courts on the ground. When they got up, they were all coated with this soot and this, this grime and all that kind of stuff. Um, but they still talk about it to this day. Um, they talk about how tough it was, um, you know, crazy over the top, but like with pride, right? And so um, we just got creative and, and they became very, very successful. Awesome. Thanks, Jimmy. So um, what, what can we talk about? So, Peter, I actually got a question for you. Um, now that you, you know, and also for you, Sarah, since pools are going to be opening up for you guys pretty soon, I know you said something about, um, you know, obviously you're going to only be going to be restricted to some kids being in the pool at one time versus kids in the weight room, vice versa. How are you actually going to end up changing up practices considering that you're only going to have one kid per lane? Like, I don't know, like, I know USA Swimming has come out with the guidelines that one kid starts at the wall and the other kid starts at the lane lines. Are you going to vary up, sorry, one kid start at the flags or vice versa? Um, how are you guys going to change up practices now that these new guidelines are out to maintain social distancing? Yeah, so we have, we have two different 50-meter pools that we're going to use. Uh, one's a six-lane, uh, seven-and-a-half-foot-wide lane, 50-meter. Uh, and uh, we'll, we'll call a lane 25 meters to the halfway point. So I'll start six in the deep end, six in the shallow end, and we will not violate that 25-meter Wallace turnaround, and, and that way I can swim 12 at a time. And, and the other, we've got a 50-meter that has 25-meter uh, cross in the middle, and uh, the, the width that is not the 25 meters is 17 and a half meters wide, but I can create lane lines width wise all the way down as if it was 25 meters wide the whole way. Why is that important to us? Because I've got between my collegians who are at home and all of my team, I got to fit 240 kids in the water every week within a six hour block at one pool and a two hour block at the other pool. And, and also ask our parents to pay monthly fees. And so that's the creative way that we're doing it. Uh, you know, we're lucky because uh, we literally just uh, got in uh, this week permission to go to outdoor training. Until then, I mean, I've, I've got a, on my left shoulder uh, 200,000 gallons of water that's been waiting for a return uh, of kids uh, since mid-March. We can't touch indoor swimming. Most of you is probably true until uh, phase two. And um, so that's, that's the way we're doing it. But, you know, with so many bodies to accommodate, um, my youngest kids won't even start in phase one, you know, my nine and unders. And my next youngest group will only train 45 minutes in the water. And then my collegians and all my older kids are, are going to be limited to one hour in the water. And that's per day, not, you know, two one-hour sessions separate. And, uh, and then their dry land uh, has been pretty, pretty much on their own, you know, because we, we don't have anything that we can do uh, for us, realistically, even in a parking lot environment. But most of the kids are, are pretty resourceful. 
on dry land and uh, along with, you know, challenges that the coaches can set up uh, that's worked for us in these two and a half months. Uh, I, I know, I know Lane and a lot of our kids uh, are, are getting very nervous about getting in the water. Uh, but I think, you know, any, any, any type of swimming that they can do, they're going to appreciate it. And if it's, if it, even if it's only 30 minutes. So I think. Yeah. Well, you know, Lane was reluctant to be an open water swimmer, but uh, I at least get him to uh, taste 72 degree water and love it. <laughs> That'll be Monday, 72 degrees, which is, you know, for true, you know, open water, that's nothing. But for the, for the guys and gals that like the warmth of their indoor, it'll, it'll be, you know, a nice hello uh, as we I, jump in. I think they're going to enjoy it. I think, uh, you know, because they're really looking, they're really looking to be back in the water. So I think, I think one of the thing, one of the benefits of all this, one of the positives is that the kids are realizing how much swimming means to them. So when they come back, I think if we're smart and we don't overdo it, and we don't push it too hard and we are patient, I think we can have a much more emotional group of people really caring for what they do. I think we all know that we have in the team, many of our kids, they go through phases where it becomes a habit. And, you know, uh, they do it because it's a social place and they don't understand that if they stop because they don't like it anymore, they can go and do and play chess or do something else and be very happy, you know. And, and I think now they're realizing that it really means something to them. So I think with, we as coaches, we just need to be patient and, we have 30 minutes, we have 20 minutes, just let them be excited and happy and don't rush over doing stuff. And I think, oh, I can... uh, sorry, I think the parents, are gonna, uh, uh, the parents are going to be willing to pay as long as they, they're not in a very financial crisis, just because they want their kids to be excited and to be kind of in a normal situation. So. Yeah, I was just going to add that. Um, I know that the, uh, the fitness center, Lifetime Fitness, down the road that has a, probably about six or seven 25-yard lanes. Um, they just opened up last week. I think they've probably gained about 100 new um, members. Uh, since our team's not in the pool yet, they're all joining so they can have access to that pool. Um, but we do have a 50-meter pool where we've got four lanes that we have our national group cycling through right now that just started this week. And we're hoping everybody else by June 8th at the latest we're in the pool. Our biggest issue is we're at a 350-meter pool. So if only one of them opens, trying to get 1,000 kids into one 50-meter pool is going to be uh, interesting. <laughs> You know, I think with club teams, I think with the young boys, like 11, 12-year-old boys, and you some of them in our, you might have those kids staying in the sport a lot longer. Uh, you have them swim, then they go play ball, play soccer, do dry land stuff. You know, they may be in heaven with this new change. So, Jason, I see you over there. You join us. We talk about if we had to cut because of budget issues and all that stuff, and you could only use one piece of equipment, mm -hmm. which piece of equipment would be the one that you choose? Uh, it was swimming related, probably fins. I mean, I just like to use fins for different things. Um, and it makes swimming easier for a lot of kids. So for me, Fins is probably the one thing that if I had to buy one thing, it'd be probably be fins just because it's pretty cheap and you can do a lot of different things with it. And, um, I think it's an important piece of equipment in my mind because you can do underwaters kicking with it, you know, swim distance per stroke. You can do everything with it. If that's the one thing I would probably choose if I had one thing. Awesome. Thanks. And are you guys in the water over there? Uh, yeah, our, our rec center opened last week. Um, and then, uh, so they could start to use it, but they're only open two out of our four pools, the smaller pools for right now. 
And then starting either next week, um, we're going to start to be able to use um, more lanes. Oh, shoot. And more space. Um, it's just really depending on um, – because the rec center is letting us do whatever we want. It's just the athletic department. They're going to have different rules. So, like, every student athlete has to get COVID tested. Every staff member does. And we have to get um, gun checked every every morning. And we have to fill out a survey every morning to make sure everybody's healthy. Um, so that's what we're having to do. We, I don't know if we're going to be able to coach them. Um, but we're going to have our own two-hour from two to four where all our swimmers can train. Um, whether we can coach them or not, I'm not sure yet. But, yeah, um, they're able to swim now. Awesome. Good for you. So, Jason, unlimited within lanes, in whatever numbers? Theoretically, yes, but we're not going to be the ones who are going to put four, five, six people. We're not going to be the first team who does it, I'll tell you that. Um, but, yeah, they said the theoretically, since we're getting, you know, we're, we're isolating them where we're going to be the only ones using the pool, we're going to be the only ones entering a certain gate. Um, so, theoretically – they're all going to be COVID tested and all this kind of stuff. So we can do whatever we want, but I don't want to be on swim swam when they're taking pictures of us having six or seven per lane when everyone's doing one or two or three or four. So uh, we're going to take it slow, but theoretically the rec center said we could do whatever our athletic department allows us. So that's what we're working on with right now. And, and Jason, just a piece of advice. Anything that you read on swim swam, it's, might not be real. <laughs> so <it's not> <laughs> uh, uh, awesome. Hey, Gordon, you, you had something that you were going to say, and I think I interrupted you. Um, I'm not sure in, in terms of this, in terms of getting back in the pool. No, no, I think it was with equipment or something. I don't know. Oh, I yeah, I, I, I typed in the chat earlier. Um, I'm predominantly working with, uh, with junior age groupers, and I think probably... Um, fall into the same category as what Jason said there. Um, most of the, the equipment that we use is, uh, it was interesting listening to everybody, I was, I was between two conversations, but it was interesting that everything was about resistance. Um, but when I'm working with these the, the junior guys, it's all about taking that resistance away to facilitate the mechanics. So we, we'll use fins a lot of the time. Um, we'll use the elastics, but not as a resistive force. So we get them on the elastics and use that to facilitate speed. So they go over speeds to get the sensation and, and, and lift um, their, their body position. And, and the other one, um, I think we probably stole from, from an American coach that was over here, is, is using inner tubes. <laughs> to facilitate their breaststroke uh, hip position, um, so all of those things are pretty pretty cheap in terms of the elastics and tubes. I think um, John had suggested that when they break um, like these, um, keeping hold of them. So I've got like an, a mass of these things just to tie around anything and everything, and and they are fantastic. Um, so we do use that. I think the only piece of resistive 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 equipment is, is maybe what you had suggested is the, the kit bags and we get them to bring uh, sponges from home and we just put that that on the back of them and that's that's usually only for our breaststrokers um, because it lifts the hips um, with a little bit of resistance it doesn't negatively impact their mechanics whereas most I guess most things do um, so for them, we can put one, two, three, depending on how strong their kick is, up to probably six, um, which is maybe similar to you putting the the t-shirts in. Awesome. Thanks, Gordon. Hey, Jason, you mentioned that you might not be able to coach your kids from deck. How would you coach them then? Would you just spray yourself on the board and hide in your office and say go or what? No, we're allowed to watch and everything, but the NCAA rules – there, you know, you're allowed to, I guess, you know, um, work on technique work so they don't drown in a sense. So mm -hmm. technically, you could really coach them in a sense because it's all preventative stuff. So, you know, we can give them the whole practice and it's all written down and I'm just standing there and just working on their technique work, honestly, and that's okay. Um, so you can't tell them, hey, you need to do this, you need to do this. Like, so everything's all written down. I'm just going to um you know help them with technique so that's good for me i could show video and you know video record them so it's really good for me 
that I could just do a lot of teaching while they're swimming, to tell you the truth. So it's, it's going to be good that way for the NCAA rules, I guess. Gotcha. I thought you were talking about age groupers for a minute. It was like, how are you going to coach a 10-year-old when you're not watching them? Well, I've done that too before. <laughs> <laughs> so, awesome. So, anything else? Anybody wants to bring up something that it's important that we can talk about it? Now that we have some freedom here. Yeah, I just want to kind of get a thought process here. Um, well, just kind of hear everybody else's thoughts is I don't think anybody has any swim meets until what August, September, November, somewhere around there, unless there's somebody out there that hasn't canceled anything. Um, when you first getting back in the water, do you think you'll feel that pressure to have to get the athletes up to speed right away? Or do you feel like you can approach it with a little bit more, um, uh, maybe a little bit slower and sort of maybe build the way you've always wanted to. Whereas, you know, almost every season's in, in three months, we got to swim fast type of thing. Whereas now you, we may have six or eight months before they have to perform. Um, as you approach the pool and getting back in the pool, do you think you're going to feel that need to get them up to speed quickly? Or do you think you might have time to build and implement things that you want to do and fix things that you wanted to fix? I can answer this uh, or share a thought. We just got back into the water uh, last week here uh, in Switzerland. Um, we are allowed to have two, uh, two swimmers per lane in our um and uh, we just treat it as 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 a start uh of a new season really because uh they have been out of the water for so long i mean they're swimming in private backyard pools a little bit or but uh we just we just started uh, over again thanks toby yeah I, i've um now on week three with a few of my athletes. So I've got athletes and all sorts, not with me here, but athletes that I'm writing stuff up. But in answer to the question, basically, John is absolutely not. I'm not concerned about getting them going uh, anytime really quickly. Um, I think we started off around 3,000 yards, very aerobic, very technique-oriented. Um, I was keeping a cap on their heart rate for a while. Uh, or at least telling them to. Um, you know, my my biggest concern is is not only getting them in shape, but making sure that they don't get injured and protecting their shoulders and knees and all that kind of stuff. So um, I just threw in a little bit of resistance stuff starting this week, but mostly technique stuff and short maybe builds and things like that. Um, so I, we've gone a little over four you know, a couple times, but again, nothing, nothing real intense. They're usually kicking every day, some drilling, pulling, you know, mix of swimming, all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, even though I had summers that would have been swimming USA swimming this summer, now it's all college directed or focused. So it's, you know, basically next February and March that, that I'm building up towards. Thanks, Jimmy. I know I, I've been writing practices for the professionals or for the postgrads and for any college kid that wanted. I know my college kids probably nobody is doing them because nobody has said anything to me and I cannot follow up. But um, right now, for example, I'll give you an example. I think uh, I have one of my professional athletes. Uh, he's in, in Iceland and a couple of weeks ago, he, they were open to swim. You know, and, and he was so excited. Hey, I can swim twice a day, just blah, blah, blah. And I told him, I was like, look, just don't. Don't swim twice a day. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know if we'll have a second wave. Just let's try to be excited and happy about swimming. And let's take one day at a time. So I sent him practices that were between 2,800 to 3,500. And uh, two weeks later, because he was in the pool with other kids from Iceland, other uh, national team members, 
And he was by himself doing that. And I told him not to do that, but you know, he wanted to do that because he wants, he's already qualified for the Olympics and blah, blah, blah. And maybe, I don't know, 10 days later or two weeks later, he texted me and says, can we talk? So I called him up and he's like, you know, I'm so depressed, you know, I'm by myself and da, da, da. I see the other guys just chatting and I think, can I go and practice with them? <laughs> this is a 27 year old guy. And I said, absolutely. I told you that from the beginning. It doesn't matter what you do. Just be consistent, be excited, and take one day at a time. You know, and I, I think that's the important thing. I don't have any plan. You know, um, I I'm gonna start whenever I have water. I'm gonna see how many people I have, and we're gonna start just getting the water, and maybe some easy stuff, and maybe do some electric work or, because some of the guys like speed, short stuff, and and get out. And then hopefully tomorrow we can come back and do a little bit more. And then maybe we can work on technique. Maybe we can, but we don't know. I don't know. I cannot, I don't have a situation like Jason or that I can plan uh, maybe how I can schedule my practice and what I can do. So I'm going to have to be creative. And, but most important, giving them peace of mind that we're going to be okay. And just every day, just keep getting better at that. That's my thought. So something that um, did I'm a little curious. Did anybody here log on to Swim Swim yesterday and listen to Dave Marsh and and company talk about reopening pools? It was a, a well, Peter. I'm not surprised, <laughs> but um, but um, but something that Dave mentioned yesterday that I that I really like. Um, that I that I really liked um, that he talked about was kind of taking this time to like John said we're not gonna we're probably not gonna have meets till like November maybe even a little later and um, and I mean just take this time you know if you've got a kid who's really really good at free at, at short axis take this time to work on long axis take this time to teach them how to swim strokes properly and also since you have this time because you'll be working with smaller groups, you can really give a lot of these kids more one-on-one -on -one attention and really give them what they need um, in terms of technique and not just focus on speed, but also focus on like how they're swimming, how they're breathing, how they're, you know, swimming, as Dave likes to call it, swimming more quietly and being smoother in the water. So that way you can create more individualized practices during this time versus thinking about, oh, this group needs to, needs to get faster so that way they can perform well the next championship meet thanks thanks a lot yeah thanks for sharing that i think one of the most interesting points uh to me yesterday in getting swimming going again was working with decision makers uh in these different phases and the details that go with the phases and distinguishing between opening a pool and the strategic use of a pool so that decision makers are able to make that distinction wisely. Uh, you know, the difference between, uh, you know, professional coaches being able to take a group in, keep them socially distanced and trained, uh, you know, to a higher level uh, because there are allowances for the professionalism of that application uh, as opposed to opening up a pool and being worried about everybody playing Marco Polo, spitting in each other's face and having a, a breakout story, you know, from that. Not that anybody in that talk had, uh, you know, the answer, but I know that locally, uh, you know, we're, we're really advantaged to have uh, influential people uh, that can work with decision makers. And I, and I think for everybody, that's going to be, you know, an important point, regardless of us not racing any time with any importance soon, I think, you know, to me, uh, I'm going to have to give a lot of energy to keeping energy up in an environment of not important racing right around the corner. And, uh, and you know, just creative ways to, one, improve the amount of water time that uh, we get, if that's possible, and then two, to make all that time pretty purposeful when for the first time in most of their uh, careers, they don't have something uh, to race for, uh, you know, with a, 
a carrot out there. So uh, I hope everybody, you know, has, you know, some influence on making that distinction between strategic use and pool open, yay, if that makes sense. Uh, thanks a lot. It, uh, it makes a lot of sense. I think uh, yeah. you know, one of the things that you can see now that it's really scary and probably all the governors and everybody's people coming out on the TV saying that I have the right to be here and I'm going to do what I want. You know, and if you open a pool, people might end up doing that. And I think us, we don't want to do that. We just want to have sustainable type of work and a sustainable thing that we can do that can get better every day so our kids can have a good life, you know, and we can have a job. <laughs> so, so I think you're right with that. Yeah. Thanks. Without you guys, I'm going to have to jump off. I really appreciate everybody sharing, Serge. We'll talk soon. Awesome. And uh, Lane is going to want to talk to you about what to do. Yeah. Thanks, he, guys. He's been texting me. Bye. So uh, I don't know if you guys want to, bring up anything else actually i do have a a, a fodder question um and I, I don't know how many people this even affects but being out of the water this long and potentially let's say another month or two is there anybody that i guess might feel like they may not have a job come august 1st if their program's not able to get in the water or anything like that uh, that's a question that I asked myself. That I asked the other day, the AD, you know, because I have to do evaluations in the next week. And then uh, uh, in, in our staff, I'm the only one that has a more than one year contract. So it really, it's kind of a scary, you know. Uh, uh, so I'm worried. Nothing is going to happen. Nothing's going to happen. They told us that we're good, that they're going to renew everybody's contract. But you never know, you know. So. I haven't thought really deeply about it, but lately that I, when they send me the evaluation packages and all that stuff, I start thinking about it and it's, it's a scary thought <laughs> because uh, like college coaches, we have very good jobs, I guess. And, uh, but if, if, if there's no school, there's no football, we're out of a job. You know, uh, if you own your club team and you, you know, you have a, a pool that you can, you know, maybe you, you can, sort of make a living somehow, but we're out of a job. I know, for example, swim camps are very important to support the assistant coaches. And we've lost a lot of money this summer in that sense, you know. So, so yeah, it's, it's, it, yeah, it's worrisome, yeah. I mean, I know, I know, you know, in a normal atmosphere without all this covid you can lose your job at any time i mean you know that's always there but there's always that thought that okay if you know if i get fired for some reason i can find another job now it's in a in a, in a day and age where it's kind of like well maybe i can't um and i know i was one of the last ones hired for our program so you know <laughs> first one in last one in first one out probably but well, yeah i was just curious if anyone else is in danger or has thought that I can tell you one thing one of my assistant coaches that he's been a volunteer assistant he has you know he works non-stop and uh, he you know I can pick him some through the pro, uh, postgrad team but he barely makes to su sustain himself he has pretty much two offers on the table now uh, well one is pretty much going to happen soon. And the other one, I know they're going to give him an offer because I spoke with the people. So, so I think there's some hope somehow because some people are really trying to plan, you know, uh, and, and I think clubs or different uh, institutions uh, might be a little bit easier. I think college, uh, college athletics, if football and basketball doesn't go on and the alumni doesn't want to support it and the athletic department wants to, it's going to shut it down, I, I guess. I don't know. I don't know what you think, Jimmy, that you've been in college coaching longer than me. Uh, well, I, I agree with you. And I think, um, you know, some schools, even some big uh, power five schools are, you know, cutting people back and furloughing it and all that kind of stuff. And so, um, yeah, I think this fall is a huge um, 
indicator of what's going to happen. And, um, you know, it could be more a year from now where some of the big hits take because some schools may have enough reserve, you know, to get by one year and try to protect people. But then if they, you know, take a big hit like both major sports and, and potentially see issues down the road that it, you know, could be worse. But, um, yeah, I think we all have to sort of watch out for our staffs and, and, um, you know, there's too many unknowns right now, but, you know, uh, keeping everybody healthy and keeping everybody on the payroll is kind of our, in a lot of ways, number one above the coaching stuff, right? Because the kids will be fine, you know, they'll deal with whatever, but, um, you know, we need to keep our friends and our colleagues in the, in the profession and keep them, keep them working. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think these companies, and you guys may have heard, there have been university presidents that have said the opposite. You know, you probably saw the Michigan, co uh, Michigan president who said, you know, no, we're not going to have football unless student-athletes are on campus. And you've got the guy at Ohio State who's already counting how many seats that he's going to sell. Um, so it's, it's all over the place right now. But uh, um, hopefully – Vaccine, right? We need the vaccine. I, I think one of the things that I can tell you is for college coaches, and I don't, I don't know how that would apply for, is working with the athletic department and making sure that we already make some cuts in things, you know, things that they're not important for, for coaches. They're important because they're a perk, but, you know, we had to cut many weeks ago over $600,000. We had to find over $600,000 to pay for certain scholarships. So people lost certain perks that they're not necessary you know i don't think having a membership to a country club is important and more, more nowadays when you cannot even go to the country club you know uh, so there's different things that and i know for example we already have really saved probably over two million dollars in the last few months and we've been doing an exercise that the university has asked not just the athletic department, but every, you know, every department to try to see how we can save five to 10% on our budget, you know? And if we can do that in the athletic department that we already submitted what we think that we can do, we can save five to $10 million in our, in our athletic department's budget. So that's huge, you know? And you have to be willing to, to do all that, you know? And if you do that, I think they're gonna, think about keeping you longer before they cut you. Hey, Serge, I got to go. Uh, thank you, everybody, for the conversation. Really enjoyed it. Enjoyed the last eight or nine weeks of it as well. So thanks for putting it together, Serge, and thanks to everybody else for contributing. You're welcome. You guys take care. Bye, John. So I think – you know, we've been over an hour now. I don't know if you guys want to keep chatting. Uh, about if you have anything, you know, I don't have it. I'll try to figure out something for next week so we make it more interesting. Um, but, um, but yeah, if you guys don't have anything else to add or, you know, we'll just call it quit. Uh, we're done for today. Uh, and then I know I've been sitting in this, not, not that it's your problem, but since nine in the morning, I've been sitting here like, and then last night we had a great conversation with Singapore, but it was over two hours and I was done by midnight. So it's like, I'm, I'm good for, with Zoom. Uh, my, my, my dose of Zoom is good. <laughs> yeah. Serge, you're a trooper. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, I, I, I like it. I'm not complaining. I'm just saying that if nobody wants to talk about anything, we can just move on. I think we, we probably all feel your pain there. I think I'm uh, eight and a half hours into Zoom for today. So, <laughs> you know, I think, you know, I was telling my wife that I think I'm going to need a vacation from this vacation. You know, <laughs> like, I don't want to have any more meetings. I don't want to have, you know, when I go to, I go to coach and you know, Don, I think maybe we got more efficient with recruiting, probably, I hope, because now we, we have time. <laughs> But, um, but yeah, well, I thank you. Thank you very much, everybody, for, you know, making it these 10 weeks. And, you know, I know it's going to die out at one point, but I hope that um, 
that everybody has, we've learned something about being able to have these small groups of people that we can chat about things with no, not judging people and being able to exchange thought processes. So hopefully we can keep moving. I'll send you, if you have a subject or a topic that you want to talk or let me know and I'll send you an email next Tuesday and hopefully we can connect again. Thank you so much. Thank you, Serge. Thank you. You're welcome, guys. Yeah, thanks, Serge. Have a beautiful, have a beautiful afternoon. You too. Bye. Gordon, I'm gonna I'm gonna send you the stuff right now before I I, I, I disconnect. I'm so sorry. I just <laughs> no, no, honestly, I, I, it's fine. I, I recognize how busy you are, and, and I think the whole world's just zoomed out at the moment, aren't they? Just. Yeah. I don't know, but it's like, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, and then I, I get out of here and I want to walk away and I forget. <laughs> I try to, I try to multitask sometimes to try yeah. to do, but I feel, I, I, I feel so bad when I have a meeting and people are just looking at their computer and I can see it, that I yeah. try to avoid all that. I, you know, try not to see them, you know, so, but I'll do it right now. And I know, really. um, I had a meeting with, before you, with Mark, I think was it, or, Adam from from England too, and I promised them that I would send them the stuff, and I never sent it. To them. Was that Mark Skimming? Was it or yeah, Mark Cruz? Yeah, uh, Skimming. Yeah. So I'll send it to you. I'll send it to you right now, and I'll send it to I him. Can. That's good. And, and yeah, if you have anything, cool. just let me know. No problem at all. Thanks very much, Serge. Have a have a good night there. Okay. Yes. Yeah, stay Bye -bye. safe.